It is now my privilege to introduce someone who needs no introduction to most of you here. Uh, and I'm referring to Bill over here, Nikitis. Bill, wave, wave, there you go. <laughs> Waving the hand. And where's Cheryl? Where's Cheryl? There's Cheryl's back there with Max, no doubt. Uh, and uh, we are so glad to have you guys. Uh, Bill has been coming, uh, uh, been on our missions uh, in one of our missionaries that we've supported long before I got here, and that's 17 years ago. So uh, uh, Bill and Cheryl are, are missionaries, uh, literally uh, global missionaries around the world in many places. If you were part of the Sunday school, you would have got to hear that. Uh, and uh, it's, just, it's amazing uh, the way that God has used them through the years. And uh, Bill doesn't like a lot of fanfare. I'm just going to tell you, he's a pastor, a minister first, then a missionary, and uh, he, is, he has uh, been a, a, a pioneer in a lot of ways. And uh, so, Bill, would you come and bring God's word to us now, brother? We welcome you to this pulpit once again. Thanks for the honor, brother. Good morning. That's a good start. It's my honor to share the word of God with you this morning. Uh, for those of us that are privileged to preach, that is the highest honor we have, is to convey that word to others. There's nothing greater than that. There's no greater privilege than actually being invited into somebody else's pulpit in order to do that. That's, that's Christmas for me. Well, since it's not about me, it is about God's word. We're, we're going to be looking at the mission of God this morning, and I'm really careful about the way I say that. And that's found, and you'll see it explained in Revelation chapter 12. I said 7 to 11. I was wrong. So we'll start with a mistake. It's 7 to 12. Now, I believe it is that going to be printed up there maybe. I'm going to read it aloud. And I will include verse 12. Listen in. After I finish doing that, you can keep reading up there if it's up there. But uh, if I were you, if you have a Bible or even your phone, if you promise to use it in the right way, you'll open it and look at it. Because we're going to be going back and forth with the scripture itself constantly. This is the word of the Lord. By the way. I'm going to issue a slight challenge to you, and I usually get odd looks because I've preached in Revelation once here before. And my challenge is, I say that Revelation is the most practical book in the Bible. Now, some of your heads may be going 360. Like, what? But I mean every word of that, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a couple of minutes. So this is the word of the Lord, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, 
the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they have loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. This is the, end of the ending of the reading of the word. Let's pray for just a minute. Lord, it's hard for us. You give us your word. You put us, your spirit in us so that we can understand what it means. But that's a long way to travel. Uh, your ideas are deeper than we are. We're not wise enough to understand them. We need your help. Lord, speak through your spirit to us today in your word so that we understand what you want us to know about who we are, who you are, and how we're to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the first thing I just want to mention as we dip into the text is, you know, I was just reflecting. I think I was here three years ago. You know, an awful lot has happened in three years, hasn't it? It's a time like no other time that I'm aware of. It's, I'm old enough where you, you hit these points in life and you go, I never thought I'd ever see that, right? So... Um, you're alive in the civil rights era, and, uh, and you hear Martin Luther King. And then you see some things change and some things still remain, but it's not the way it was yesterday. You go through the Vietnam War. You go through all kinds of things, the fall of the, of the Iron Curtain. And you go, the whole world has just changed. Sometimes that's a real welcome thing. The last few years, I'm going to say, it hasn't been that welcome to me. You wake up one day and somebody says, you can't go out of your house. In this country? Now, I serve around the world, and I've served in places where people can't freely travel. But I never thought I'd be in one. So... And this, I'm not making a political statement. I'm making an existential statement. I'm surprised. I'm shocked. It bothers me. I got my, I got my, um, my study in, in the basement of our house. It's a nice room. But, but you begin to feel like your whole life has lived in the basement. That's the way it is. Racial tension. Political division. People dying, a lot of them. We all hold our breath, waiting to see what's going to happen next. There's a story in Flannery, one of Flannery O'Connor's short stories called The Turkey, where this boy named Ruler, who is a complete failure in life, nobody likes him, his mother doesn't even think much of him, 
He goes out one day and he said, I'm going to impress mom. So he, he goes out with his shotgun in order to bag a turkey. So this is in Georgia, rural Georgia. He sees um, a wounded turkey. He, he never gets a shot at a turkey, but he does hear a bang, and he sees a turkey running across into the woods. But it's obviously wounded, so he follows him. And he follows him, and he follows him, and eventually he catches that turkey as it's dying. And he slings it over his shoulder, and he says, this is going to be a gift to my mom. She'll be impressed. So he goes back into town where he lives with that turkey over his shoulder. And, um, and three bigger boys come from across the street. And the, old, the largest of them, and they're carrying their guns too, says, see, that's where I shot him. And they grab the turkey away from Ruler, and they put it on one of their shoulders, and they leave. Ruler is stuck with nothing. And he look, and what Flannery O'Connor says is all the way home, he looks over his shoulder looking to see what God is going to snatch away from him next. Do you hear that? That's amazing. It's bad. You're just going, what other bad things can possibly happen to me now? So you and I, we're Christians, we're part of the body of Christ, and we think as individuals, but we also think as a church, what in the world is going on here? What's the meaning of these things? I've had COVID twice, along with the shots. So you go, so you're sitting there going, I can't taste and smell anything. And you can look at me and know I like food too much. I'm also a good cook. So now I can't smell anything, I can't taste anything, and I'm going, what is the point of all this stuff? I think normally that's what we do. Is there a purpose in our suffering, in our loneliness, in our struggling with each other? Why? You ever ask yourself that? Is God trying to say something? Or is there no meaning to these things? I, I wonder, because when I speak in churches and I visit churches, the kind of response I get, it just depends, but sometimes that response is, we don't want to think about it. What we want to do is get out of it. So the first thing I want to do is get back to normal. See, there's a problem, though, because when I'm getting back to normal, I'm not thinking about why is it here in the first place. Has God done anything to try and teach us something through this? We're in such a hurry to stop suffering that we overlook the fact that God is always speaking. We stop listening. All we want is for the suffering to stop. What are we to learn from it? I wonder, you know, I, in fact, I don't wonder that much. I think about the Apostle John when he wrote, through the inspiration of God, the book of Revelation. What was going on? Well, the church in Revelation, those seven churches that you see in chapter 2 and 3, those churches are suffering. 
their suffering is not generic, it's very specific. They are suffering because they are witnesses of Jesus Christ and they're doing it in the midst of a hostile world. I don't believe Revelation is a book that's just about the future. I think it spans, spans everything from the beginning to the end. But when, when, when Jesus is speaking to those churches, he speaks to them there and then. And he has something to tell them. What we're going to talk about this morning is exactly what he does tell them and why he tells them that. And what the point of it is, what, what are we supposed to learn? You remember, Sajana is over there, and in book four, in chapter four, verse one, the Revelation tells us that a door opens into heaven, and John is invited to go up there. What's that all about? Well, what it's about is that God gets John's attention and says, I need you to understand things from my perspective. You need to have a God-eye view of what's going on in the world right now. And, and that will help you understand how you're supposed to get through things. How you live through them. What your priorities ought to be. How do I understand the times? I'll tell you in summary what Revelation says. Revelation says that, there, that the believer, the Christian, the true Christian has only two priorities in life. And then there are all sorts of things that come after that, but only two things, bottom line things, to wor worship God and him alone and to witness to him and, and his son, Jesus Christ. There's only two things, worship and witness. It, it's like a helix. And, and in the midst of the helix is God himself. So revolving around that helix, moving and moving and moving, from the old heavens and the old earth to a new heavens and a new earth is this repeating pattern, constant pattern of worship and witness. It's what we're called to do. And we are instructed in the Bible to continue to do those things no matter what. The first time I ever preached there, I did the no matter what thing. So I made everybody repeat me when I'd say, and they'd go, no matter what. We have no options about that. Let me make this pointed because if you're drifting, you need to hear this. If you are not worshiping the Lord as he commands, if you are not witnessing to him as he commands, he is not your Lord. You act as though he's not. Fact of the matter is he is, but you're acting like he isn't. You're not faithful to him when you're not worshiping and witnessing. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip at you. I'm just talking bottom line here, right? You love being saved by Jesus, don't you? But to be, but to be a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, to be part of that family of God, means worship and witness. John is telling those churches in Revelation, that's the same thing for you. Persecution makes no difference. Your circumstances, your poverty, the stress you feel, what's going on, nothing changes that fact. 
It doesn't change that fact in any country, in any community, in any family. It is a universal, it is always true. The other thing that Revelation reminds us of, especially in our text, is that um, the context for worship and witness for a believer in this world is spiritual warfare. It would be one thing if I could go to church and, or if I could share the gospel and I pay no cost for that. Yes, please tell me about Jesus. I was waiting for you. I prayed, for, prayed that somebody would come and explain the, the gospel to me this morning. That might happen, but it doesn't happen very often. Most of the time, it's opposition to it. People don't really want to hear it. Their hearts are disposed against it, right? If you do it, in a lot of different contexts, in a lot of the ones that I serve in, there's a consequence. So we suffer. What Revelation is saying, you have two things you got to do, and it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what your context is. It doesn't matter if COVID is there. It doesn't matter if your neighbors don't like what you're saying. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you worship and you witness to Christ no matter what. And when we're faithful to that calling, we're in the midst of a fight. Now we have weapons. None of them are swords, knives, guns, bombs, or anything like that. That isn't our calling. Our calling is to use the things that we are given by the Lord. The first one and we'll talk about it in a minute. The first one is we're covered by the blood of Christ who died for us. So we already have that. And we'll talk about the advantages has in a minute. We also have other things, don't we? We have faithfulness. We have worship. We have all of the blessings that come as being a son or a daughter of God himself. So we're armed for the combat. And because we're armed, we're called into the battle. Now, I'm a former military guy myself. A lot of people here are. My, my point, though, is not for military people. It's for every people. All of us are called to that spiritual war. Now, when we talk about missions, and I get introduced as a pastor and missionary, it's all true. But, but what you can't afford to hear is that I'll do that for you. How about no? I'm not your employee. You don't hire me to do things you're supposed to do. I can remind you that you're supposed to do them. I will do them with you. So I'm not just talk. I'm action too. But I'm calling you to the action yourself. And that's the purpose of me speaking to you this morning. Revelation tells, is telling the church, and that means you and me, that there are some things that are actually worth living for. The eternal preservation of your health is not one of them. Right? The only things that are really worth living for are things that are worth dying for. And the Revela book of Revelation explains exactly what those things are, and we're going to explore them. 
to die in the service of the Lord is the highest honor we have. We're not going to go to heaven because we die for the Lord. We're going to go to heaven because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But because we do, we're going to go wherever he goes. And we're going to go the way he goes. That's why it says, take up your cross and follow me. The consequence of taking up your cross and following Christ is you end up going the way of Christ. And there's no avoiding it. But that is the blessed life. That's not the cursed life. That's actually the good life. It's just hard to see it when you're hurting. Look at the text we have. In verses 7 and 9, um, John expands on what he's saying, and he says, basically, to summarize it, God is on a mission to expand his kingdom to his whole creation. Now, he owns all of it, but he wants every part of that creation in heaven and on earth to acknowledge his lordship. That's his mission. And what he's done is he's created us to go on mission with him. That's actually our privilege. So, so if you talk about grace, for example, and you sit in the pew, you're sort of missing a part of what he's telling you. What he's saying is, I'm going to save you, but I'm saving you into a life. I'm not just saving you from one. You understand what I'm saying? You're saved into the life of work and ministry with Jesus Christ. You follow him wherever he takes you. That's what mission actually means. So in 7 and 9, you understand that, that mission, that thing we talk about in church, is something God starts, not us. Right? It's not me and a bunch of other missiologists sitting around in a room talking about how we're going to win the Muslim world of Jesus. That was God's idea. All we're trying to do is follow him and do it. In verses 7 and 9, you're introduced to Michael, the angel, who, who's not new to the Bible, by the way. You see him a lot. Just take time later and read the book of Daniel. If you want to understand Daniel, you've got to be, read the book of Revelation, and then you read the Revelation after you've read Daniel. Between the two of them, you understand exactly what's going on. So what, what we find out is Michael is an angel who's, who's sort of commanding a bunch of other angels, and they're in a cosmic battle in the heavens. And what they're doing is they're fighting Satan and all of his angels, and the outcome is that, the, that Michael, who is the servant of the Son of Man, defeats Satan and his people, and they are cast out of heaven. Now, you want to know what that means? I'll tell you, it's really simple. It means that Satan aspired to command heaven, along with all of his followers, God confronted him, God defeated him, God cast him out of heaven, and he went to the earth where he makes us miserable. We're still down here. Satan, who is the biggest dummy in the world, he's clever, but he's stupid. He's clever because he can outsmart you. But he's ultimately really dumb because he can't possibly win. He's already lost when God tossed him out of heaven. 
The thing that gave victory over Satan is actually the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. His crucifixion, his resurrection, and then finally, we shouldn't forget his ascension into heaven. Because as a consequence of those things, we have Pentecost Sunday, right? He ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit who comes and inhabits us. He empowers us to live for him. He empowers us to suffer for him. He empowers us to go wherever he goes. He empowers us to die for him when it's necessary. Mission of God, that, that is what it is. It is not learning Arabic. It is, it is not um, having cultural sensitivity. Those are byproducts. But the essential mission of God is following Jesus wherever he goes, filled with the Holy Spirit, going into danger when it's necessary. And, and lately, it's becoming more necessary. We're not used to that. But it's here now. We now have opposition. That's not supposed to take us off our game. We share the word of God faithfully with people. We, we do it joyfully. We worship openly. And we let God bring the results. That's our mission. So Michael, Michael is used by the son of man who is Christ to defeat Satan, to cast him down to the earth. Satan in verse 9 it says, Satan is the ancient serpent. He's the, he's the snake in the garden. He is Satan, the deceiver. He is the enemy of God and us. He's cast down, but, but he's still fighting. Satan is unaware of the effect of what happened. He thought he won when he got Jesus on that cross. See why I call him a dummy? That, that is the cause of our victory. But Satan doesn't know that, so he's still going to try and go after us. It's really sort of simple in a way. So in 7 to 9, you see that mission begins with God's initiative and God's victory. That it, Wake up if you're not, because you need to understand. Some of you are pessimists. Now, that's got to be the dumbest thing you can be, Right? Now, between Cheryl and I, I, I'm an inveterate optimist, and Cheryl is what I would call a realist. I wouldn't really call her a pessimist. She just counts the cost. She knows what things are going to take in order to do something. But she also knows Jesus wins, and so do we. So it never deters her or me from doing what we're called to do. So the first thing we need to understand as a church, you people along with us, is that we are following Jesus in a victorious movement from the old heavens and old earth to the new heavens and the new earth, and we're with him. No matter what anybody says to you, no matter what happens, no matter what kind of persecution comes our way, no matter who tells us we can't worship or do things, we're with him all the time, so we're always doing it. Nothing stops us. In verses 10 to 12, it says, basically, that we've been drafted into the mission. 
Now I have a military context, and the draft was gone before I got in. But you and I, by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ covering our sins, have been drafted into God's army. We are an army of witnesses now. And that means we're mobilized to go and do things that he wants us to do. We're enabled to do that in verse 10 because we are no longer vulnerable to the accusations of Satan. You understand what that means? We think, or and Satan thinks, that he's going to judge us and we'll be punished because he did. But Jesus Christ stands in our place. And because of that, Satan can't hurt us. We're not vulnerable to it. We're in safe territory as long as we're with Christ. So in Revelation, the church needs to understand that you are covered by Christ. You can't be accused by Satan any longer. He has no legal right over you. Even if he said he did, he was lying. You are free. You're not covered by all of the guilt and the stuff that he'll throw on you. You are not. You have a freedom to follow Christ. What Revelation chapter 12 is telling us is that it was Satan that was defanged. He's like a snake that's had his poisonous fangs pulled so that he cannot kill us. It's not possible. Even if you and me die in this world, we have eternal life with Christ, right? Win-win. It's win-win because, let, look, okay, I'm not in a hurry to go to heaven, to be honest. I want to stick around for a while. I'd like to see my grandkids grow up and all of that. But it's win-win because no matter when he takes me, I'm going to be seeing him face-to-face. Well, it doesn't get better than that. That's better than my grandkids, to be honest. So Satan is defanged. He's thrown from heaven by the blood of Christ. And that empowers us to be on the mission that he's called us to. I'm not on the mission and you're not on a mission. Are you understanding? We're all on the mission. You can be reluctant. You may not want to do it. It doesn't matter what you want in a way. You have been called to it. It is now your new life. So our obligation, because we're, you want, if you want to be covered by the blood of Christ, if you want Christ to fill you, if you want the, the Christ to be your Lord, if you want the spirit of Christ to fill your heart, well, I've got news for you. You've got to go where he goes, right? Because if he's in you, leading you, you are going where he's going. If he's going one way and you're going another way, you're not filled. So you can't have it both ways. Right? Either you have freedom in Christ to follow Christ or you don't have Christ. Again, I'm not trying to induce guilt. I'm just trying to I'm just speaking sense. If we say we're in Christ and he goes one place and we go another, how can that be? Now, we can try and rebel against it and resist against it, and he'll correct us, but we're still in him. We're going to end up going with him. That's the point. 
We're enabled to follow him because of the blood of Jesus that's shed for us. Hebrews 2.14 says that Jesus' death, to summarize, Jesus' death destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He broke that chain. He set the prisoners free so that we can follow him no matter where he takes us. It also says it's not just about Jesus because look at verse 11 with me. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. That was the part we just talked about. And by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. The consequence of following Christ is that we'll always follow him. We'll go with him no matter where he takes us. No matter what it costs us. You can see the faithfulness of the people of God by the blood they leave behind. To be a Christian is not simply to go and sing hymns and go home and have a good lunch and then take a nap Sunday afternoon, right? Which, which I'm looking forward to. But that's not it. You can see the progress of Christ in his people by the effect that we made, the effect it has on us, and that includes suffering. There is no mission of God without that. Mission is not triumphalism. Like God wins, we'll go with him. We're, he's, he's, we got the winning guy that we're following. And that means life's going to be good. To be a follower of Jesus is not that. To be on the mission of God is not that. So what we're learning is that our calling is to, be a, to, is to give our testimonies of Jesus Christ to a world that may reject us. That's what mission is about. That burden is not just in Bangladesh, it's here in Niceville. Right? And that's supposed to compel us, move us to follow him anywhere. And to be able to take what we consider to be risks in order to do that. If you're an attractional church, you're just trying to lower the barrier between you and the unbelieving world. I understand that. But I'm saying that if you're really consistent and following Christ, you're going to get in trouble sooner or later. And then when you have that place where you have to choose, or maybe it's forget the church for a minute. You're, it's your family. Like my family, uh, we were not believers, but we were church-going Greek Orthodox people. My father wanted to disown me and make it and make it legal because I came to Christ. My choice is: Am I going to stick with Dad, whom I love, or am I going to follow Jesus, whom I love? That is the choice. So I made the choice to stick with Jesus and dad backed off. But those are the kinds of things you and I have to think about a lot. In verse 12, we have another thing that we see here. The reason we're suffering, the reason is hard. The reason we got trouble with our family, even inside the family, with our neighbors, with people we work with, our colleagues and others, is because the defeat in heaven of Satan shifted his efforts. And, and guess where they shifted? 
they shifted to Niceville. He's working here. And he is dumb because he doesn't know he's already lost before he even started. But because he... Because he's not omniscient, he can't see the future, he can't even see the present accurately, he doesn't realize that he's on a fool's errand. So he will make us miserable because he doesn't know he's already been beaten. He makes war on those, it says in Revelation 12, verse 17, he makes war on those who keep the Ten Commandments and testify to Christ. He's not fighting simply God, he's fighting you now. When people fight you, I don't know if you guys have had a lot of fights. I grew up in Queens in a, well, in really a mafia neighborhood. I didn't get a choice about who I was going to fight. They made the choice. Somebody goes after you, what are you going to do? I, I, don't, I don't lay down for them. I'll fight back. Satan goes after you, how about you're already in the fight? An effective means of confronting Satan is not ignoring him. This is not a good idea. The final thing I just want to pass off briefly is that our calling to God's mission has to drive what we do as a church. Some of the things I've been talking about apply to you as an individual or a family, but some of them apply very directly to us as the church of Jesus Christ. So that means the Presbyterian Church in Niceville, pastored by Joe. We have a burden as a church. And here are, here are just a couple of things I think that God wants to say to us this morning. God's cosmic defeat of Satan guarantees that we are, we are forced to become witnesses in this world, even if we didn't want to be. It's the job, we are now enlisted. We can't avoid the fight, so we might as well win it. Don't avoid it, don't cover up, get to it. That's the first thing. Second, Satan is on a suicide mission. Our success is already insured or assured. So what that means is that if you stick with it, we win. If you just stick with Jesus, we win. We're not going to lose. Since he no longer judges us, our witness will always trump the persecution that we suffer. Always. You hear me? You're afraid to talk to somebody? I understand it. I have fear too. But you realize that if you give in to that fear, you're a dummy. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and the spirit that fills you with him and the leadership of God the Father, you are engulfed in his love. You can't possibly lose, you see? If your friends in school intimidate you or make fun of you or whatever, or they tempt you to do things that you shouldn't be doing, and, and you, that moves your attention away from God, you're a dummy. You have resources and strengths they can't imagine. And those are all at your disposal. Pessimistic Christians 
who are constantly defensive in the way they think, and they're afraid of the world around them, are, are Satan's useful idiots. How about that one? Like, we have loads of friends back home, uh, some of which are really pessimistic. Now, they are believers. They really are believers. But, but they focus so strongly on how bad things are or how bad the threat is or, or how at risk they are and what's going to happen to us and we'll lose our freedoms and all that other stuff. They become useful idiots for Satan because it, it takes them out of the battle. See what I mean? I've met most of you here. You all have been faithful Christians for many years. But if being a Christian to you means sitting in here and not getting involved in the battle, then you're a useful idiot. All right? I'm not trying. Okay, so I called your name. I'm sorry. But I'm not really sorry. You become a useful idiot. The third point, last point, is we're called to action now as worshiping witnesses on mission. Not as individuals, but as a whole body. And our body in this church merges with thousands and thousands of other bodies that are doing the same thing you're doing. So if you feel overwhelmed and outnumbered, you could be a useful idiot because your, your viewpoint is too narrow. We talked in Sunday school this morning about what we can learn from the Presbyterian Church of Bangladesh that we really helped grow. But they are bearing fruit, not just in terms of numbers, but we're learning from them, how do you deal with persecution? How do you deal with opposition? How do you not quit when things don't go your way? So you, have a, you host an event at the church, and, and um, you're counting on lots of people showing up, and they don't. We throw our hands up and go, I don't know what to do now. When you pay attention to other parts of the world where Christians suffer, they never let that stop them. They always find a way around. So that's an encouragement for us to learn how to do the same thing. And in that way, we're actually serving the Lord by being part of that global community he's called us to be. We're not like me, an individual missionary goes off and tries to to break new ground with people out there somewhere. Most of the time, what's happening is I'm going out there meeting somebody just like me who also knows the Lord Jesus Christ, and we work stuff out together. I like that better, right? So you team to do things. That's the point I want to leave you with, that you are part of a very vast number of witnesses that suffer for Jesus Christ. If you want the reference for that, go to Revelation chapter 7 and spend some time with it this afternoon. You'll see that you are part of an, an, an almost a numberless number of people who also follow Christ and go wherever he goes. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Those witnesses are witnesses. You are surrounded by all of those witnesses, and it looks like a cloud because there's so many of them you can't number them. And because you're surrounded by all those witnesses, you're following Jesus Christ 
You're taking up your cross and you're going where he goes, but you're not doing it alone. You're doing it with Christ and everybody else. That's how you do mission. Let's pray. Father, um, we cover a lot of ground. Uh, we say some things that are not easy to hear. Uh, work in our hearts today to um, convict us that we actually are part, that we've been called to service for service to you. We're not spectators. We're not, we're not watching Top Gun. We're, we're actually following Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. And Lord, we ask that you, you give us that conviction and we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.